everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Today, we are joined by Melinda Hightower for our podcast series, The Future of Wealth. Melinda, welcome. I'll pass it over to you. Thanks so much, Siobhan, and welcome to The Future of Wealth, where we explore the power of cultural capital in advancing the arts, philanthropy, and inclusive growth. As Siobhan mentioned, I'm Mel Hightower, head of UBS's Multicultural Investor segment, and with me today is founder and CEO of Latinx Startup Alliance and LSA Global, Jesse Martinez. Welcome, Jesse. Hello, Melinda. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm thrilled at the opportunity to learn more about you and your story. So why don't we get started? So, Jesse, yeah. I'm always interested in how personal journeys connect with purpose. Can you share with us how your experiences have shaped your passion for supporting Latinx entrepreneurs and startups. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it all starts with, uh, you know, pursuing a STEM degree. So I'm a proud Texas A&M uh, Aggie and so studied mechanical engineering and followed that traditional path. And then eventually I made my way out west in 97 to work for a startup. And so that's where my life changed, my trajectory changed. And that's where the evolution and the seed was planted for Latinx Startup Alliance. Uh, so I, I joined a startup back in 97 as employee 27, funded by Sequoia Capital. We were one of two pioneers in the web hosting services space, and we were hosting Yahoo and Netscape. And in less than a year, we went from startup to part of a public company via two acquisitions. And so when people talk about a rocket ship, we were part of a rocket ship. Um, you know, one of the amazing things is, Learning about Silicon Valley, you know, just the culture itself, learning about startups, supporting founders, and then more importantly, learning about stock options. And so that was my whole intro into the world of stock options. And so the old, jo- old joke used to be is that, hey, they don't teach us about stock options in Texas. And really, you know, this, I guess the foundation for most of my journey has been seeking the unknown. And so I was living in, in Scottsdale, Arizona in 96 was at Barnes & Noble when we still had a reading the paper. And for whatever reason, I went through the classified ads, and there was an ad that said Internet sells for Internet company. And that was the case. Oh, my gosh. And that's how you <laughs> found out about the opportunity in the Valley? Yes, yes. And then I'll, I'll wow. make laugh as well. I faxed in my resume <laughs> cover letter. <laughs> so that's how it began. <laughs> Well, Jesse, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. You say they don't teach us about stock options, and that struck a chord with me, right? Because I started my career in 2000 designing equity compensation programs for companies. Mm-hmm. So before we dive deeper into the challenges faced by entrepreneurs, I just want to talk about, you know, lessons that you have for people who are starting out in careers in Silicon Valley. We all know that it's the home of innovation and tech ecosystems, but they don't teach you about stock options or other forms of equity-based compensation. What's the biggest takeaway that you have from your time then? Yes, so I spent 25 years in San Francisco proper. I'm a four-time founder. I've been through five accelerators. I was the first EIR for the Salesforce Incubator entering fall of 2016. And with that, with that work as a founder, and then also, uh, also for being the founder for Latinx Sharp Alliance and supporting founders since 2011, it's about finding the opportunity, but 
more importantly, getting your foot in the door. And so whatever that means for someone that's looking for a career in tech is like, how do you take that step forward and get your foot in the door and then grow and prosper from there? Um, and so that's a lot of part of my talks is, you know, identifying those opportunities, finding also those champions and sponsors to help make those warm introductions and references as well. Right, right. So tell us a little bit more. I mean, you broke into the startup world, you know, back in 97. And as I understand it, some of the same challenges are still being faced by Latinx founders. So if you, I'd love to talk about a little bit more, if we could double click, what are some of those challenges that are being faced? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think for, you know, all founders, you know, just access to capital is across the board, and then also uh, access to networks. And so that continues today. You know, when I when I think about founders themselves and I think about Latino founders, you know, one, one of the main things that would come up is can you put your startup with a global perspective? So nothing wrong with servicing, say, the Houston area or Texas, but how do you change your business model to – have a global perspective, so therefore you have a better chance of securing venture, right? So how do you make your startup venture backable and scalable? And then from that, what are the partners and resources that you need access to to help you on your journey as a founder? So how do you continue to grow via the various stages, right, from bootstrapping, friends and family, angel investors, your pre-seed, seed, post-seed, and Series A. I can't keep up anymore. Uh, we didn't have all these turns back in the early days. And so I would say those are the, the main ones. Um, and so, again, just being able to find your your tribe, your community, your partners, your resources, your champions and sponsors to help you on the journey. Well said, Jesse. And I think that your point about the access to capital challenges is really well documented. And it's interesting even still because we know that Latinx founders are some of the fastest growing groups of founders in the United States. So when you turn to build Latinx Startup Alliance, that really required just incredible vision and leadership. What were some of the forces that really led you to build the alliance? And what were the, some of the initial steps that you took in order to bring that vision to life? Yes, and, and I, I appreciate you asking that question. So in 2010, I was looking to do my second startup, and it was the early days of community-based organizations providing support and services for their founders. So I think black founders, Jewish founders, and others. And so I asked myself, hey, I'm Latino, I'm in tech, I'm a founder. Let me see what's available for us. Did some Google searches, and nothing popped up. And so I was asking myself, well, how can this be? We're in the tech hub, you know, the tech mecca of the world, and there's nothing for Latino founders. So that was really the seed and the college for Latino or Latinx Startup Alliance in 2011. So we launched with six people in the Mission District of San Francisco. And so fast forward, you know, we're over a 1,000 members globally. We continue to grow organically. Our mission is still the same, to help support and empower Latino tech founders here in the United States. And it's through that work that's allowed me to work with some amazing founders to support them. It's allowed me the opportunity, you know, to go to the White House under tech inclusion four times, uh, be part of Clinton Global Initiative and talking about Latino founders. 
And then my biggest honor and blessing today was being part of uh, Davos in January 2020 and attending as a delegate representing Latino Latinx Startup Alliance. It was out of a pro- wow, that's a fantastic. Yes, and so now you know the cha- personal challenge for myself after going to Davos is how do we get more of us, right, more Latinos, more diversity to Davos and to be on that global stage. Right, and representation on stages that matter is really part and parcel of a lot of the work that needs to happen, and it really is the cornerstone you mentioned of tech inclusion. Um, it's kind of the cornerstone of that work as well, too. I'd love to hear more about the Latinx Startup Alliance. You mentioned that you had over a 1,000 um, members. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your, the members that you have in terms of the breakout of the industries that they represent um, and geographies and size? Well, you know, pre-pandemic, it was a lot of California. <laughs> so, you know, what pandemic brought was the distribution of talent and capital. And so, you know, unfortunately we had, you know, we, we all experienced that on a global perspective. But what it did um, force is the migration of talent and capital across the United States. And now we see these emerging tech ecosystems, just like here in Houston where I'm based now, you know, I'm back home. Houston was just – uh, number five last year, number four this year is the Emerging Tech Ecosystem by Startup Genome. And so being a part of this new ecosystem, you know, it's how do we contribute, uh, not, not only to the overall ecosystem, but how do we tap in more Latino founders and investors as well? And so how do we create more capital providers from our diverse communities to support our founders across the U.S.? And so that's one of the things that we've been working on. And when we think about you know, industries and sectors, it's been across the board. But what we do find is, you know, a lot of founders are delivering solutions because of a personal pain that they've experienced themselves. So you see a lot of ed tech, fintech, and so forth, right, consumer tech as well. And so what's changed here by being in Houston is now we see climate tech, we see more health tech, and then we see energy transition because of Houston being the energy capital of the world and then making that next step or that leap forward and how do we address energy from a a global perspective. Jesse, you said two things that really stood out for me, and I'd love to comment on one and follow up with a question for you on another. You mentioned that the pandemic really is leading to the geographic disbursement of tech and I find that to be an incredible thing, too, because oftentimes Silicon Valley was an, an it's an enclave um, without equal, but at times it was also limiting because individuals who couldn't afford to travel to Silicon Valley or sit, reside in Silicon Valley, it doesn't mean that Silicon Valley had a monopoly on innovation. There are great ideas happening all over the country. And so when you see these tech ecosystems pop up in Atlanta, Houston, um, in Miami, for example, and others, it really is leading it and driving more representation in tech by virtue of the geographic diversity. So, and I wanted to know if you were seeing the same as a result of that, um, the fact that we now have hubs happening really across the country. Yes, absolutely. And then what it also led to was just the ability to host hybrid accelerators so no longer having to be in person, you know, at a YC, at a Techstars, at a Black Ambition, 
whatever the program may be, Google for Startups, uh, now you're able to participate in these hybrid programs or virtual programs. So therefore, you know, not requiring the founder or founders to move to someplace that might be a little more expensive or disrupt their, their uh, family lives. Right. No, it's, it's a great point. And I think the other point that you mentioned that was really poignant for me was, and the industries that you mentioned are industries that have really not been stood up to serve some of the diverse communities that are now driving um, a lot of consumer decisions. So it's interesting how it's all come full circle where it is the members who of, of that community that are really leading the way in innovation because they know best the gaps that exist in certain certain industries. Yes, that's so true because when you come from it, you know it firsthand. And that's what it takes, right, that knowledge, that firsthand experience to really help solve some of these challenges that we have in our communities across the U.S. and and so it's been uh, also coupled with investors as well. So when we think about the diversity among emerging fund managers that we're seeing, you know, they also understand, they have a closer connection and better understand some of the challenges that our communities face. And so now we're seeing that capital being allocated by someone that really understands uh, the founder and, and the problem itself. Right. And that's exactly what we mean by where culture meets capital. Right. So speaking of cultural capital, that it really plays a big role in driving innovation and economic advancement like we discussed. So how do you see um, Latinx Startup Alliance contributing to Houston's future as a tech hub? Well, you know, we're we've made a commitment during pandemic years to make Houston our new headquarters. And so we're here. We're at the ION, which is um an innovation hub, 270,000 square feet. It's a repurposed Sears. So it's actually one of three Sears we used to go shopping at as little kids. And the ironic thing, to come full circle, I used to buy popcorn on the lower level of that Sears building. Well, guess where our main office is? It's on the lower level of that, of that building of the ION itself. And so, uh, you know, it's just, I just had no idea, right? You would have asked me pre-pandemic, yeah. you know, you're going to be in Houston and you're going to be working out of Sears. You'd go shopping at where you bought popcorn. I would have said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> so, that was not in my roadmap. <laughs> so, yeah, but so. what a beautiful, what a beautiful full circle moment. It um, is. It is. Uh, mom's happy as well. And so, uh, you know, what's, what, the opportunity that we have in front of us, not only for Latinx Startup Alliance, but also the emerging tech ecosystem in Houston, is to really build something special and build something together. So seeing the collaboration that's taking place. So Houston area is 44% Latino. The state of Texas is about 40% plus Latino as well. And so when we think about, you know, serving our communities and then also empowering our founders, you know, we're at that forefront uh, where we can help make a difference in creating these solutions and providing the capital for our founders. Uh, you know, one of the things that's different from being in the Bay is in the Bay, we were so used to the funnel coming to us. And here in Houston, we have to help create the funnel. We have to create the funnel to ensure that Latina founders are providing 
are getting the support and resources that they need for their the work that they're doing. So we're excited to be working on launching a Latina Venture Studio this fall to help identify Latina founders that have a tech idea but don't know where to start or what to do. And so our goal there is to create these success stories that therefore allows the opportunity to launch a second cohort in the spring and then the fall and then build from there. So we need to meet the founders where they're at um, here in Houston. That's an important point that you made about the need with a lot of the newer tech hubs, the, the architecting that needs to happen around building this ecosystem of support so ideas can flourish and innovation can flourish. And I think it's wonderful that you've been such leading the way and being such a, a role model and resource for for founders in Houston as well as outside of Houston. And we all know that mentors and role models can have a really catalytic impact on someone's life. I'd love to know about one of your mentors or role models. Can you tell us about someone who's influenced your career and how their guidance has really shaped who you are today and your approach to leadership and entrepreneurship? Yes, I I have a long list, actually. But, you know, I I think as most, right, it starts with my parents and then moving from there, just thinking about the various phases and stages of my life and the different career paths that I took. And so ultimately, who were those directors? Who were those VPs? Who were those um, managing partners? Who were those leaders of those incubators, accelerators that I've met along the way? to help share their knowledge along with founders uh, and and help provide some guidance. And so there, there's so many, and I, and I appreciate and respect each one. And I think it's going to take me some time to make a list because I do want to write a book on, the, on this journey that I've been on thus far. Well, when you have that book written, please. Please, we want to welcome you back to have a conversation and go through each and every one of the people who has really shaped who you are and what you do. Final question for you. So Future of Wealth really is focused on on really understanding how journeys really are shaping um, perspective on wealth and success. So given all that you've accomplished and, and the fact and your incredible you know, experience in the Valley from startup to now startup advisor. How has that shaped your views and insights on the, on the future of wealth and what success looks like? Yes. Well, you know, outside of my day job, I'm also an investor and we started a new entity called Resolve Ventures. And the mission of Resolve Ventures is to identify and curate uh, tech opportunities. But the bigger mission is to create a whole new generation of diverse LPs. And so what I mean by that is how do we help educate those that are can be classified as a LP, right, limited partner, but just didn't know or didn't know what the process was. And so thus far, we've curated two deals. And I would say the most beautiful thing, you know, that we've heard in that in that in that work that we've been doing is what is pro rata, right? And so uh, when we have ULPs asking about pro rata, you know, we know that we're on onto something, and just you know, being able to educate them on what it means to be an LP, 
and part of part of that journey. And so we'll continue to grow that community so that we can provide more tech investment opportunities. Because usually, you know, we don't always have access to some of these deals. And, you know, sometimes you're blocked from accessing a Series A or higher deal. And we want to be able to ensure that we do provide access to those opportunities by working with the founders and the founders having a commitment to having diverse LPs on their cap table. We, I think that is fabulous. And it, and it actually makes my heart full as a person who learned the ropes a long time ago in equity compensation and came up through the ranks as a lawyer and as a banker. I think understanding and having a safe space to ask questions and learning along the way is so critical and so important. Um, and I think if that happens to more, for more people, will result in more diversity on cap tables as well, too. So that educational journey combined with access, I think, is critical, and it's wonderful to see that you're shaping that. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, a lot of hard work, as you may know, uh, but, you know, there's you know, others doing their work as well. And so we need more of us in being able to, you know, again, educate our diverse communities on what these opportunities mean and being able to provide, you know, what is that uh, multi-generational wealth and what it means for their family. Great. And that's a wonderful spot to end. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, to share your journey and the journey of Latinx Startup Alliance. Thank you again. Thank you, Melinda, for the opportunity, and feel free to reach out anytime, as well as anyone in the audience, if they want to connect with me. All right. Thank you. Thank you. The material presented in this podcast has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. It is intended to be educational in nature. It is not an advertisement, nor is it a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy, nor should it be viewed as such by the listener. UBS AG or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. None of UBS or its representatives is suggesting that the recipient or any other person take a specific course of action or any other action at all in response to this podcast. By accessing and listening to this podcast, the listener acknowledges and agrees with the intended purpose described here and disclaims any expectation or belief that the information constitutes investment advice or a solicitation of any kind. Any financial instruments or services described in this podcast may not be eligible for sale in all jurisdictions or to certain categories or investors. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review client relationship summary provided at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary or ask your UBS financial advisors for a copy.